Good morning, everybody. It is great to see so many familiar faces, and I see some faces of people who are new since I was here as well. My name's Marsha Pratt, and um, as it said in the bulletin, I was here as a seminary intern from 2015 to 2019. I actually worked a little bit part-time on staff during that time as well. Um, this church is just a really special place for me and for my family. I preached my very first sermon here. Basically, John Sherrill taught me how to preach. Um, and while we were here, our family went through some really challenging times as well. And um, I just want you to know that um, this is just an incredible place. We were so well loved and cared for in those times. And so it's really wonderful um, to be back today. And I have with me uh, my husband, Jonathan, and um, Luke, who is heading off to Messiah University in Pennsylvania in about a month. So my kids have grown a lot since they were here. And then Lauren is a sophomore at Zealand West now. So um, it's great to be here. So this week, we're the second in a series that Sam kicked off last week on the books of First and Second Corinthians, based on a book written by our dear friend, David Bast. And um, he explained a bit last week about kind of how Paul planted the church in Corinth. He spent about a year and a half there teaching the people. And then he had left and um, he had, there were other people who were continuing on the ministry there. The church in Corinth was quite diverse. It was made up of both Jews um, who had become followers of Jesus and Gentiles who um, had come to know the Lord as well. And unfortunately, it was a church that had some problems. It was a church that had some divisions in it. And so Paul writes these letters to give them wisdom, to give them spiritual direction. Today, we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians 3, and I'm going to invite Don to read the word for us. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. God's building. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Don. So we're going to just start out this morning by talking a little bit more about what is the problem going on here in the church at this moment that Paul is addressing. And so what he is talking about is they are becoming divisive because they are choosing to follow different leaders. He says in the few verses before this that some had been following Apollos and some had been following him. So who is Apollos? Let me just uh, give you some background on who this guy is. And we know this from the book of Acts, chapter 18. So Apollos was someone who um, had been taught by Priscilla and Aquila. So what happened is Paul first went to Corinth. He planted the church there. He met this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, and they were very um, 
gifted in kind of teaching together, they were helping Paul in that church. And together, they went to Ephesus. Actually, I'm not sure if they went at the same time, but they ended up together in Ephesus. And Priscilla and Aquila stayed in Ephesus. And at that time, Apollos, who was a Jew, just like Paul, he was educated, he knew the Hebrew scriptures, he had grown up in the Jewish faith, just like Paul, he came from Jerusalem to Ephesus. And when he got there, he was teaching some things that were just a little bit off. Some things that maybe he just hadn't encountered yet. And so Priscilla and Aquila actually had kind of pulled him aside. And we know from Acts that they had said, hey, we, we just want to kind of clarify a few things. It had somewhat to do about kind of the baptisms of John the Baptist versus the baptisms of Jesus. Not necessarily important to remember, but just to know that Apollos had been trained. He was a gifted teacher. There was nothing wrong with Apollos. And later, he went from Ephesus then back to Corinth. And so what was happening in the church is that there were just two different kinds of teachers. Paul had been there for a while, and then Apollos came. Both Jewish people who were educated, both trying to move the church forward, but people were choosing sort of one side or the other. It would be basically as if here at the church, you began to take sides and someone said, I follow Pastor John. And someone else said, I follow Pastor Sam. And then someone else said, well, I follow Pastor Brian, right? And so all good things happening, but people really just kind of forgetting that together they are the church. Forgetting that they are supposed to be living in unity and that they're supposed to have a common purpose and a common goal and that ultimately they're following God. It's not about which human leader they're following or learning from. And so it was leading to these divisions in the church. And so Paul writes to the church and says, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? It doesn't really matter. And he goes on to use this image to help them understand, basically to show them there is one purpose and that this one purpose has, is God's work. It's not about human work, it's God's work. And so the first thing he says is he gives this image of a field. He says, you are God's field. And every person within the church has a different task to play. And I love how Paul uses this imagery because he planted the church in Corinth and he says, I planted, he says, Paul planted the seed but he recognizes, but then Apollos watered it. Apollos followed him. Yes, he was different, but he came and he watered the seed and the same purpose they, they both had, and that was to have the church grow, that there would be a harvest. Now, I am learning a little bit about living near farms. I grew up in Grand Rapids, so really nowhere near farmland, but now I live in Borculo. Anyone know where Borculo is? All right, there's like one ice cream place called The Spot. That is Borculo, okay? So we are surrounded. We actually, we have about two acres. My husband, Jonathan, has been um, just 
gardening kind of more for fun, we actually have beans coming out of our ears right now. So it's been a great year for beans. We have corn growing, but we have corn fields all around us and I'm learning a lot. I mean, we go out for golf cart rides and I can't even necessarily identify each crop. I'm learning. Well, my nephew also lives in the area and he has been working his second summer now at Crisp Country Acres. Um, it's a farm that, it's a large farm and then they have a little um, kind of store that you can go and get fresh produce. But he understands this. Everybody has a part to play. Some people help plant in the spring. His job partly is to weed. The kids learning how to work, to weed in the hot sun. There are people who water at the farm. There are people who pick the crops when they are ready. There are people who package them. There are people, including my nephew, who go to the farm markets and spend 12 hours on a Saturday selling their produce. It's long days, hard work, but they're all doing it for a common goal. And that's that they are trying to produce a harvest. And then Paul gives a second image, and this one actually is easier for me to understand. He says, you are God's building. I grew up in a family of sheet metal roofers, and so I understand how that works when there's a big project, that there are people who are going to frame the building, and there are people who are going to put the roof on, there are people who are going to do the plumbing and the electrical, Everybody's uniquely qualified and gifted. I don't know about you, but I certainly don't want someone doing electrical in my home who doesn't know what they're doing, right? That's a fire hazard. And so we all have a part to play. And so Paul uses that as a second image, that there's one purpose, one goal, and that's to build the final product with each person doing their part. The Greek word synergy basically means to work together. And so in this text, we even read about synergy that Paul is saying, we need to work together. Let's not be divided. And so what does it take to work together? Paul's trying to indicate here, we have to just recognize we're all different. We all have a different part to play. We have different spiritual gifts. And he goes on later in Corinthians to speak even more about this. He has a whole chapter about spiritual gifts and how every part is needed. But he also talks a little bit about just not letting these divisions, like let, not letting envy or anger get in the way. How quickly as humans can you imagine it must have been for Paul and Apollos you know, in the human side of Paul, I can imagine that he might have felt this sense of, wow, I did plant that church. But now Apollos is getting to see the fruit. Maybe I'm feeling a little envious of that. Or maybe Apollos could feel a little envious of Paul because he was the one that was so beloved who started this thing in the first place. And so Paul wants them to realize we don't want that anger and that envy, the disagreements and the divisions to become normal. When I was reading this text, for some reason, the very first thing that came to mind was the Broadway show Hamilton. How many of you have seen Hamilton, whether in Broadway or on, yeah, Disney Plus? I'll admit, I went for the first time to see it, and I, I did not expect to be as blown away as it was. I mean, it is just a brilliant 
brilliant musical piece. But let me just give you the basic story for those of you who don't know it. So it's about Alexander Hamilton, who was one of the founding fathers of our nation. But there's also these other people who are part of this. So Thomas Jefferson plays a pretty significant role in it. And there was another guy named Aaron Burr also. And he was a lawyer who also came into politics. Now they all had a common goal. The goal was that they wanted to win their freedom from Britain first through the Revolutionary War. And then once they had won that freedom, they wanted to build a new nation. And so George Washington, of course, becomes the first president. But all of these other characters are kind of part of this larger story. And Hamilton and Burr cannot stand each other. They are just so different. Hamilton is fiery. He's quick to act. I mean, you, you get this sense even in the beginning that he can't wait to go to war. Just let me at it. Like he's always kind of saying to George Washington, basically put me in coach kind of a thing. Burr is on the side of more, he's always saying to Hamilton, talk less, smile more right? He wants to kind of keep the peace and use a little bit more of the kind of the maybe manipulation to get things done. Pros and cons to either way, right? They're just simply different. It drives Hamilton crazy that Burr is so calm. He'll say things to him like, if you stand for nothing, Burr, what will you fall for, right? And so as they finish the war and they're building this country, Hamilton is running the treasury, Jefferson becomes Secretary of State. And in the midst of it, as the story continues, there's just this ongoing tension among all of them. And what ends up happening is that Jefferson is now running against Burr for president after um, it, it was for the third term. So Jefferson and Burr are running against each other. And everybody's looking to Hamilton to see which one will he back. Because see, the thing is, he doesn't like either of them. He doesn't like Jefferson, and he doesn't like Burr. But everybody wants to know, basically, what's the lesser of two evils, Hamilton? Which one would you choose? And Hamilton ultimately backs Jefferson and says, I may not like him, but at least he'll stand for something. And this all leads to the duel at dawn in which Burr kills Hamilton. And that struck me because we, of course, are not doing deadly duels at dawn. <laughs> but how often that we can let our divisions continue to just fester. And I'm guessing from what I know of this church, that's probably not so real even within your church body. I actually found this to be a very, um, a, a place that people really worked well together despite their differences. But I think if we look at our culture as a whole, if we look at the church in America as a whole, I see it right now. I see a sense of wanting to choose which leader am I going to follow, which person am I going to trust, and if there's someone who's teaching just a little bit differently, I'm gonna go ahead and just cancel that person completely out of my life. Just letting those little seeds of maybe, whether it's envy or just disagreement, take root and start to cause us to just maybe wish that things were different 
Maybe sometimes wishing that we had a different part to play or just wishing that we could get rid of someone who's different from us altogether. And so how does the church learn to act as the unified entity that we are supposed to be? Knowing that we have the same purpose and that is to build the kingdom of God. To share the good news of Jesus Christ with a world that is so desperate to hear it. Well, Paul gives us the famous chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 where he talks about what love looks like. That love is patient, that love is kind. That love does not envy, love does not boast, love does not keep a record of wrongs. And so some of it is just learning how to love despite our differences. And I'll tell you what, that's easy to say and sometimes it's hard to do, right? I've, I've struggled with this just as much, how easy it is to see somebody post something on Facebook that I don't like or disagree with and how quickly I just want to unfriend that person, right? But instead, to be patient and to realize that we're all in this together. And then being reminded that we're all called to exercise our own gifts, that we don't have to be the same, that we can be different, We are all one body. And as Paul writes, we don't say, the hand doesn't say to the foot, I don't need you. Every part is needed. It's beautiful that this text came on the Sunday that you just ordained elders and deacons, that you are getting ready to kick off VBS. What a great reminder that people are called to serve in different ways to see the the cloud of witnesses who came up to lay hands on as on Jane and Steve as they were ordained and installed to see that for different seasons of time that each of those people was called to serve in that way. Maybe this week you're going to be called to serve lemonade to a bunch of thirsty kids. Maybe you're called this week to be a prayer partner for one of the leaders. Maybe you're Jana and you're thinking, I sure hope I'm going to have the energy to get up and lead this crazy bunch week or day after day. As you look ahead to a new ministry year, we all have a part to play. We're sharing one purpose, one goal. But then the second main thing I want us to take away from this text is not just do we have one purpose and one goal, but to remember it is God doing the work. I love how Paul says it here. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. We are co-workers in God's service. This is ultimately God's work. That is so humbling. It's certainly humbling for those of us who've been called to ministry in our day-to-day lives. We get invited to play a part, a part in his kingdom. But actually, all of us get invited to play a part in his kingdom, the growing of his field, to produce a harvest. Why would he bother? He doesn't actually need us. God is so powerful and so able. He does it simply because he loves us. Think of it as if you are a grandparent and you have your grandkids over and you say to them, hey, do you want to 
go out and pick beans with me? Or you say, do you want to help me make chocolate chip cookies? Or do you want to help me sweep on the porch? Whatever it is. As a grandparent, you're not asking the grandkid to do that because you need their help, right? Actually, you know it's probably going to be a whole lot easier if you make those cookies by yourself. But you invite them into that just simply out of delight because you want to share in that work together and because you want to teach and see that child learn and grow. You want to spend that time together. That's how God sees us as his children. He created us and delights in us. He loves us. And he redeemed us so that we could stay in relationship with him, so that we could partner with him. Not because he needed us to, but because he delights in us. It gives us dignity. It gives us purpose to be invited into his work. And so, what if I'm called to plant a seed and someone else is called to water it and someone else is going to harvest it? Each one of us is being invited by God to be part of the story. And across a lifetime, honestly, I think there's going to be many seasons in which we are planting a seed. There's going to be seasons in which we are helping to water it, and there will be seasons in which we see the harvest. Even as I think about your role as a church in raising me up as a pastor, you planted seeds in me. You helped to water those seeds. You encouraged me. You believed in me. And now, primarily, Faith Church in Zealand is seeing the harvest, right? But we are all in this together. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. Now, I do want to also just name one other thing in the midst of this. And that's what I think sometimes people actually struggle not so much with envy or wishing they had different gifts, but maybe a feeling of, I'm just not good enough. Maybe my gifts don't seem to matter. Or maybe I feel like God might call me to something, but I certainly don't feel like I could be that person to plant that seed or to water it. And that's where I would say, read the Bible. Again and again, we see examples of how God called his people to do things that they did not feel ready and equipped to do. Jonathan and I were just talking last night, and he said it to me. He said, what about Moses? God comes to him and says, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses says, uh, not me. Please, not me. I can't speak well enough. And God says, I'm going to be with you. I will give you everything you need. That was the story of Joshua. That was the story of Ruth, of David, of Esther, of Mary, of Elizabeth, of Paul. Paul, of all people, knows the amazing gift of being called to serve, but also feeling undeserving. And so hear this this morning too. When God invites you into something, he will also equip and empower you to do the work. Maybe you have been called to serve at VBS this week, and frankly, if you're honest, kids terrify you a little bit. And that's okay. God is going to give you what you need. 
Maybe as you step into a new role on consistory, you're feeling a little bit unsure and wondering why indeed did the church call me to this office? God is with you. He will equip and empower you for what he has called you to do. And so I simply just want to end today by saying, continue to learn how to hear and discern the voice of God. Ask yourself this week, how might God be inviting me to participate, to be part of his kingdom, to be someone who is maybe planting a seed or is watering or is helping to harvest? Am I ready to say yes, despite what role I'm being asked to play? Can I see myself as part of a larger story, co-workers together, called to unity, to one common goal, one common purpose? And so we're gonna just take a few moments to just quietly reflect this morning. In what ways do you sense God inviting you to participate as a co-worker in his kingdom right now? And also to reflect on this truth, God invites you to be uniquely you in his story. We all have a different part to play. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.